0: Hello friends and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving and living the whole counsel of God. I'm your host and Bible guide, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open it now to Exodus chapter 14. In this chapter we hear the climax really of the first half of the Exodus story. I've mentioned before that there are two halves to this book of Exodus. The first half tells the story of how God redeemed Israel out of the house of bondage in Egypt. The second half, beginning with the giving of the Ten Commandments in chapter 20, tells the story of how God taught the people how they should live and behave as a saved people. That's the rhythm and that's the shape of any true gospel story, Old Testament or New. So hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of pi Hahiroth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Now, we can't really identify with any certainty any of these ancient place names. This happened a long time ago, and the seafloor of the Red Sea has shifted a great deal over the centuries. And towns on the outskirts of the desert can be prominent in one generation and then completely obliterated in another. All we know for sure here is that God has led the people on an intentionally circuitous route. They appear to be lost and wandering. They have missed their eastward turn and have backed themselves into a trap, or at least that's how it looks to the Egyptians. By going too far south, they are now boxed in. The desert is to their west and to their south, and the Red Sea is to their east, and very shortly the Egyptian chariots will be to their north. Humanly speaking, there is nowhere for Israel to go. But of course, as Bible readers know, that is exactly where we often have to find ourselves before we are ready to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. So all of this has been ordained by God. He is leading the Israelite host by means of the pillar of cloud and fire. He is not lost. He is working a plan. And the plan is to lure Pharaoh out for one last grand demonstration. I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. That's what's going on here. We pick up the story at verse 5. while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them encamped at the sea by pi Hahiroth, in front of Baal-zephon. Now, most scholars point out here that we are not likely to imagine that the entire army of Egypt was assembled and dispatched to round up this pathetic group of wandering refugees, as surely they appeared now to the Egyptians. This is a a representative force assembled for speed, sent out on a police mission, and seemingly led by an elite detachment of chariots. They caught up to the Israelites who were encamped by the sea. Verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. I love what R. Allen Cole says about this incident. He says, This was very wrong, but very human. We recognize ourselves again and again in Israel. Closed quote. How true that is. Remember, this is a true story, historically and paradigmatically. So this is about them, but it's also about us. How true it is that we are fickle in our faith. How true it is that we are prone to doubt and quick to forget all the wonderful things that God has done on our behalf. We are Israel. We are slow to believe, but thankfully, God is gracious. We pick up the story at verse 13. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Old Testament and new, we are saved by grace alone through faith alone. We don't contribute. We don't add to our salvation. It isn't as though God does the heavy lifting and then we come along and finish the job. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, stand still. See. Be silent. God is going to do his thing. God is going to cast down our enemy. He is going to do it all. That's why we call it grace. All you have to do is believe. That's what we see in the next verse, verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. I'm not looking for the Israelites to fight. I'm looking for them to have faith, God says. Tell them to pack up because we're leaving. Now, we sometimes don't appreciate that detail because... We read fast, generally, and lack imagination often, but this whole go-forward thing would have, of course, required hours and hours of preparation. Remember, the Egyptians caught up to Israel while they were encamped by the sea. That's what the text says. I don't know if you've ever broken camp. I have. I've, I've led plenty of backcountry canoe trips in my day, and I know that it takes hours to break camp. And that's when you're leading 10 to 20 people. I can't imagine how long it took to pack up this unruly bunch. Douglas Stewart says here, In saying, tell the Israelites to move on, God was asking for a breaking of camp, rounding up of animals, packing up of belongings, an orderly departure by ranks. All this would take many hours. And indeed, the remainder of that day and almost the entire evening were used in the process of getting the Israelites, out of their encampment and into and across the sea. Quote. Now to state the obvious, you wouldn't bother doing all of that if you didn't believe that God was about to do something miraculous. Because as I said, there was nowhere for Israel to go. Escape was impossible, which of course is when God shows up to do his thing. My point is this, sometimes packing can be a gesture of faith. It was in this case, it was Israel believing that God would make a way. The story continues. The Lord said to Moses, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen and and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. So again, this was the last scene in the long, dramatic encounter between God and Pharaoh. Pharaoh, in a sense, stands paradigmatically for the devil, the one who holds us in cruel bondage. So, for example, in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, speaking about the salvation that is ours through Christ, the apostle says, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Do you see that? God has to defeat our enemy as part of our redemption from cruel bondage. He sets us free. He has to show his power. He has to transfer our allegiance and ownership. That's what the Exodus is. It is a power encounter that results in the people of Israel leaving behind a cruel master and becoming bonded by love and covenant to a new master, a kind, powerful and benevolent master. That is salvation, Old Testament and new. Verse 19, then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Now, the language here in the Hebrew is obscure, and so translators argue amongst themselves as to exactly what is being said here. And you'll notice that for yourself if you happen to be reading along in a different translation of the Bible. Uh, The various English translations all handle this verse slightly differently. But the main idea is that the cloud, which is the angel of God, took up a position between the army of Pharaoh and the army of Israel. Note that Israel is being referred to here in military terms. They are an army, but they don't have any weapons, and they don't need any weapons because God fights for them. The cloud creates a defensive barrier. Now, Jewish tradition says that it was light on one side, the Israelite side and dark on the other side, the Egyptian side. And that may have been so. As I said, the grammar is obscure here, as you can see for yourself in the ESV translation, and as you would certainly notice if you're comparing with others. Verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord, in the pillar of fire and of cloud, looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. So here God lures the Egyptians into a trap, uses the east wind to blow out and dry out a narrow channel, but it is boxed in by water on either side. So the chariots would have to follow directly behind the marching hordes of Israel. Normally, chariots, of course, would want to sweep in from the flanks, but that's not an option here. And the path would have been just nominally usable for foot traffic. And remember, the Israelites were traveling light, as per God's instructions. But after all their thousands and all their cattle had passed by over this path, it would have been thoroughly chewed up. It was wet and boggy to begin with. And so the chariots, of course, are in trouble. They begin to get mired in the mud. And God supernaturally throws them into a panic. And I'm not sure how supernatural that panic would have needed to be. One doesn't envy the situation of these charioteers. Pharaoh is behind them. And remember, Pharaoh thinks of himself as a god. And as a god, he has sent them to retrieve these runaway slaves. So they can't return empty-handed. That's not an option. But they have already seen what the god in front of them is capable of. Most of these men would have already lost sons to this God. So they were already halfway down the road to panic. But once they see this trap, the narrow path, the chewed up ground, the wheels stuck in mud and mire, they know exactly what is going on. They're being led to the slaughter. And so they say, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord Yahweh fights for them and against the Egyptians. But it was too late. Verse 26. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So Israel made it through, but the chariot force of Pharaoh was consumed. They perished in the waters, and not one of them remained. Now, to be clear, that doesn't mean that Pharaoh died. In fact, the language of the story implies that the chariots, And the horsemen were sent ahead. It is they that died. Pharaoh and his officials were safe, though thoroughly and entirely defeated, back on the other side. Verse 30. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Now, believed probably isn't the best word there. The NIV renders that as trust, as in the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. The Hebrew word there is aman, which means firm or faithful or true or certain. The sense seems to be that this dramatic display stirred up faith in the people of Israel. That's important for us to see. Because again, this whole story is intended to be understood both in a historic sense and in a paradigmatic sense. It is telling us what happened and it is showing us what faith looks like. Nahum Sarnas is here. Faith in the Hebrew Bible is not belief in a doctrine, or subscription to a creed. Rather, it refers to trust and loyalty that find expression in obedience and commitment. That's the idea. And that is what the Lord is building here and growing here in his covenant people. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to End of the Word. If you're interested in additional resources or previous episodes and series, you can find those over the website at www.intotheword.ca. You can also check us out on Facebook, and I hope you do. We have a growing community of Bible readers over there, and we post daily encouragements and conversation starters. Hope to see you there. And hope to see you again tomorrow, right here for another episode of Into the Word.